Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. We ask this morning that your Holy Spirit will remain with us for the remainder of this service. Please fill the sanctuary with, with yourself, with your spirit, the spirit of Christ. Help us leave renewed today. I pray this and I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Last month, I was uh, really encouraged by a report that Mrs. Williams, our school principal, shared. I don't see her here today, so hopefully um, I won't put her on the spot. But um, she told us about an assignment that she had given the children of our school where they were to submit an answer in writing to the following question, which was, how do you know that Jesus Christ has a personal interest in you? And those of you who were in the meeting with me um, will remember that, that uh, she shared this with us. That was the question she gave the kids. How do you know that Jesus Christ has a personal interest in you? And as I listened to her, the question really struck me because it was not asking, you know, why the children thought that Jesus loves the world or why, he, why they think that he loves the church or the school or some other group. The question was very specific and individual to them. It was a very appropriate invitation for them to go one-on-one -on -one with the idea that despite the existence of tens of millions of people on this planet, the, the reality is we matter to Christ on an individual basis. In story after story in the Bible, we see Christ constantly surrounded by massive crowds Yet, amazingly, he, he didn't miss Zacchaeus, for example, when he was walking by the sycamore tree in Jericho. He didn't miss the woman who had the issue of blood, um, who touched the border of his garment while he was being pressed by a crowd. He didn't miss blind Bartimaeus, who was on the side of the road as he walked by, surrounded by a huge multitude. In fact, the Bible says in Mark chapter 10 that when Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus stood still, it says, and he called to have him brought over. And that's really an amazing personal touch when you consider that on top of being surrounded by a noisy crowd, the people who were, who were standing by Bartimaeus were, were telling him basically to be quiet. I mean, this guy had no chance whatsoever of, of getting an audience with Christ. Yet again, by his actions, Jesus showed that he cares about people on an individual basis. And these stories, you know, they, they also point out one other thing. You see, Zacchaeus was on a tree looking at Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood was happened to sneak up behind him and, and was able to manage to grab his, his robe. And Bartimaeus was blind, so he could only hear that Jesus was in the area. And then he cried out in the dark, but in each and every case, the result was exactly the same. Whether you're looking at Jesus, whether you're touching Jesus, or whether you're hearing Jesus, any contact with Jesus Christ is life-changing. And the reason for this is spelled out in the sermon title that you see in, in the bulletin. He's alive. It's that simple. We're, in contact with, we're not in contact with a dead God who is unable to hear us, who is unable to see us, who is unable to understand the issues of this life 
And by the way, this is why we should never stop praying for those we love who are in trouble spiritually because your prayer is putting them in contact with Christ. And we should not underestimate the, the, the life-changing power that emanates from Christ or his desire to get personal with your son, your daughter, your wife, your husband, co-worker, neighbor, or anyone else you might be praying for. The Bible makes it very clear that the personal ministry of Jesus is not over. If he was dead, it'd be over, but he's alive. Uh, let, let's take a look at a, a few verses in the book of Revelation. I'm going to take you to Revelation 3. Revelation 3 and verse 20. And when you get there, you'll recognize this is a very famous and popular verse. Revelation 3 and verse 20. I'm reading out of the King James Version. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in into him and I will sup with him and he with me. Here we find Jesus, who again is alive and back in heaven, still trying to have a personal relationship with us. And he says, you know, if any, I will come in to him, I will sup with him and he with me. It's all singular, right? He's speaking on the individual level. And many times we, we read these, this verse, especially this verse in particular, and somehow we think, well, you know, he's talking about my neighbor. He's the one that doesn't know Jesus, and how nice that Jesus would knock on his door and, um, you know, try to get his attention. But when you back up a few verses here, and we will, you realize by the context that Jesus is actually not talking about our neighbors. I'm going to start on verse 14, so Revelation 3:14. And again, these are very famous um, texts which we, will, we would all recognize readily. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. And you, I mean, you guys know, you can, we could almost, Adventists could almost recite, recite this by heart. I'm going to jump down to verse 19. It says, And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And then he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He, he's not talking to our neighbor. He's talking to us. You don't eat with strangers. <laughs> This is, this is Jesus Christ doing all he can to revive a personal relationship with each one of us that was going great at one point, but has become lukewarm as we continue to find material success in this life. He's talking to old friends who have become spiritually complacent. And so he's knocking on the door to see if we're home. He wants to grab lunch, as old friends might do. Let's uh, back up one chapter, Revelation 2 and verse 17. Revelation 2 and verse 17. This is actually one of my uh, favorite Bible verses in all of Scripture because you almost can't find another verse that makes it so clear that we serve a risen Savior who's committed to a personal relationship with us even after he saves us. Revelation 2, 17 says... He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, 
will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name, written which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Jesus literally has a private name for each one of us that just the two of us will know. And that is proof that in this life, he knew you so well, and he was so intimately connected with your hopes, your dreams, your disappointments, your trials, your successes, your failures, that he's able to pick a name that could be only understood by your personal experience. And that's deep when you, when you think about it, because nobody can do that. Because in this life, you know, we get nicknames based on external factors, but only Jesus can give you a name that includes the most private, intimate details of your character. So, so far, you know, we've said a few things. Number one, any contact with Jesus is life-changing. And that is because, number two, he's alive. I mean, it's, it's shocking to me anyway that so many people in the world insist on being part of, a, of religions where the person or persons that they worship are dead. And number three, Jesus has an intense desire to be personally involved in every detail of your life. And on this third point, he's not just being nosy. He has the absolute authority to be that intimately involved in your life. For example, let's say that there's somebody at work or school or some other circle you hang around in that would like to get to know you so well that they too can give you a name that would fit. So they begin to ask you know, personal questions. They start asking about everything you've done, inquiring about your spouse, your children, your personal struggles, so they could go ahead and find a name for you. Well, of course, that, that's completely ridiculous, right? I mean, we would never share anything like that with an outsider because we would consider that to be an intrusion of privacy and write it off as pure nosiness on the part of someone who has no authority in your life. But go with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 18. This is uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples and a few others right before he gives them the, the Great Commission and goes back to heaven. Matthew 28, 18. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Just hang on to that thought for a second, and we'll read a few more verses here uh, quickly as we look to wrap up. Let's go to John chapter 3 and verse 35. John 3, 35. It says, The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. Let's stay in the book of John and just go to John 13. John 13 and verse 3. John 13 verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. So the point I want to make is starting to become clear. All things are given to and under they're given to and under the control of Christ. And we're pursuing the idea that when Jesus is interested in your personal life, he's not just being nosy. He has the authority to, to, to be involved. One more. 
And this was the scripture reading for today. Revelation 5. Revelation 5 and verse, verses 11 through 13. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on, and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And here's the point. The Bible is clear that everything we interact with in this life is owned by Christ. All things are given into his hands. And there are many other verses. We, you know, we just read a few. Every success attribute we've ever desired is under his authority. And they're called out in verse 12. Riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, blessing. All these things that men want, they all belong to Jesus. There is no point in backstabbing somebody at work, for example, to gain honor and glory. They, they don't belong to whoever you're backstabbing. They belong to Christ. There is no point in stealing or cheating to gain riches. Again, the, the riches belong to Christ. There's no point in lying to fabricate your own blessings. The duty of every human being is simply to surrender to Jesus Christ and let him be the one to direct your life. Because he owns everything, including you and including me. He bought us with a price, the Bible says. And in verse 13 of Revelation 5, we find the entire universe celebrating this very fact. If you read the verse carefully, there's a massive choir in verse 13 made up of the whole universe, all created things in heaven and earth, singing a mighty chorus that swells with praises to God and to Jesus Christ for his victory on the cross. And as we sing our own closing hymn uh, this morning, and as we transition into communion in a few minutes, I want to invite you to join that choir in Revelation 513 and worship Jesus with your voices sing with joy and surrender to the one to whom we owe it all uh, that is our personal friend and savior Jesus Christ amen